For emerging artists, securing a residency can be transformational. And now in New York City, a new artist-in-residence opportunity has emerged in perhaps an unlikely place, Greenwood Cemetery in Brooklyn. Hi, I'm George Bolarki, and this is Cityscape. Greenwood Cemetery recently announced a new nine-month-long artist-in-residence program. The chosen artists will have the opportunity to use a private studio on the property to create art inspired by the historic cemetery. In this edition of Cityscape, we have two great guests to talk about that new artist-in-residence program, as well as the rich history of Greenwood Cemetery, Lisa Alpert and Harry Weil. Lisa is the Vice President of Development and Programming at Greenwood, and Harry is the Director of Public Programs and Special Projects. He's in charge of all special programs and events at Greenwood, including the Artist-in-Residence Program. Lisa, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you. Harry, thank you to you. It's a pleasure to be here. So let's talk Greenwood Cemetery. First of all, let's get into the history of this amazing cemetery. What can you tell us about the history of Greenwood? Yeah, Greenwood was founded in 1838. It was just a few years after Brooklyn was incorporated as an independent city. And um, it was founded as one of the uh, nation's first rural cemeteries. Rural cemeteries were beginning to have their day after a Rural Cemetery Act um, that was passed actually a little bit after Greenwood, but the idea was that uh, large urban centers were starting to have you know, very serious um, and dangerous health concerns with burials within the confines of the city center. And um, uh, the idea that a cemetery could be out in a, <laughs> sort of cracks me up now that to think about Greenwood as being in a rural area, but it was in 1838. Um, and, you know, the, the idea not only was to have the cemetery away from, you know, sort of traditional churchyards or even backyard burials, but to be in a beautiful, um, uh, you know, spot, beautiful for the dead, but also for the living. And so, um, as I'm sure you know, Greenwood, when it um, was started, was of course a cemetery, but it also became a public green space. Um, and uh, Brooklynites and New Yorkers um, flocked to Greenwood to connect with nature um, and to have a respite from the, the urban grind. Harry, what fascinates you most about the history of Greenwood? Well, actually, I was just going to jump in there and say uh, what I love is that Greenwood is the first. It's the first public park technically so before Olmsted was imagining Prospect Park and Central Park there was Greenwood and before the Brooklyn Museum and the Metropolitan Museum of Art there was Greenwood which was this outdoor museum where people can see monuments mausoleums you know by some of the leading architects and designers of the time. Is it true that Greenwood inspired the competition to create Central Park and Prospect Park? Lisa you can speak to that didn't Olmsted come to Greenwood or it is true. It is true. Um, actually, um, I guess it's Olmsted who, um, um, you know, really wrote about Greenwood and 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 urged other um, uh, urban landscape. They weren't called it called that at that time, but um, urban designers to you know look at what's happening at Greenwood. Look at how people are naturally going into that space. They crave it. They want it. And you know, this really you know, leads to um, the development of the, you know, public park, Central Park and and Prospect Park. But before those big um, public parks were open, Greenwood was there and um, never, you know, I I call it a public park. It is not technically a public park, but we act like we are one. We are open every single day of the year. And, um, you know, as we may talk about later, 
Greenwood actually during the worst of the COVID um, pandemic and still to this day, we extended our hours and opened up all four of our gates. Um, it's a very big space. It's 478 acres. Um, and so we really, we act like we're public. We, we want the public to come in and enjoy us as if we are a public community. Yeah, we can talk more about that now. How has Greenwood served as a respite during this pandemic? Well, it's interesting. Um, I, you know, of course, when COVID hit, like the rest of the city, we weren't exactly sure how to handle it. So, I, I mean, I should first say, on the cemetery operations side, it was, um, you know, I, I can't say enough about the cemetery operations staff. They they worked tirelessly, um, just a little bit in the weeds. You know, cream, uh, Greenwood both buries and cremates the. Um, cremations are typically, you know, last year at this time, you know, 65, 70 a week or something. They were easily double that, about 140 a week. And burials were, you know, that usually are about 20 a week. We're going up, I think the highest week in April was 71 burials in one week. Um, so the cemetery staff really did an extraordinary job to just weather that and, and, and you know, um, be able to serve um, um their purpose, the purpose of Greenwood. Um, Greenwood as a respite, um, I think you can really take our, both Harry and I can take our hats off to our president who really immediately said, look, we gotta just open up. We have to, we can't shut down. There are other cemeteries around the country that we quickly learned were closing their gates, but we thought we have to do the opposite. Um, so it involved taking on some extra cost um, to make sure that we had, um, uh, personnel at the gates and, and welcoming people and and but we we wanted to do that and so the gates are open now every day until 7 p.m. and we have you know we've, we've had certain days in um, April uh, and May where there were over 10,000 people at Greenwood in one day now that sounds like a scary number um, but because the place is so huge um, we uh, have never had uh, a social distancing problem. I, I should also add, maybe Harry can speak to this. We did create a new sort of um, team, a crew of people who are willing to help us to volunteer their time to be what we call social distance ambassadors. Um, and, you know, it's been a, it's just a really, really nice thing. Someone on Harry's staff handles that. Harry, tell us about that effort. Well, you know, I'll say is that a lot of people were coming to Greenwood for the first time. And, you know, as Lisa mentioned, you know, uh, we're not a public park. There are things you cannot do. You can definitely not do, you know, in the cemetery. There's no sunbathing or bike riding or dog walking or picnicking or uh, barbecuing. Um, and so we needed the ambassadors on hand to help us kind of patrolling. Now they weren't a vigilante gang, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, doing a lot of no, no, no. Um, but just, you know, reminding people that it is a place for a solace and respite. And, you know, we are a place, you know, we are an active cemetery. Um, at the end of the day, we'll always be an active cemetery. So respecting the departed, but also respecting their loved ones who are coming um, to grieve, to mourn. And so making sure that the individual, you know, this huge influx of individuals who are coming were, um, you know, following all the rules. And I think for a lot of people, it was new. You know, it's like, oh, I can't ride a bike in a cemetery. And it's not ignorance. It's just, you know, never having been to the space before. Um, and I think what's been really fantastic is whether it's been on Facebook or Instagram, uh, people just messaging us and thanking us for keeping the space open, um, discovering it for the first time, um, you know, especially with social distancing, you know, 
public parks were getting quite crowded. And so Greenwood, because we're so large, you know, we don't see the numbers as Prospect Park or Central Park, um, but 10,000 people fit really easily in the cemetery and there's lots of breathing room. And it's really a beautiful place. I mean, there are fantastic monuments and mausoleums, the gates themselves to Greenwood, absolutely beautiful. Yeah, and I think um, there's not many people, well, I, maybe Lisa would argue with this, but I think, I always like to think Greenwood is uh, still a best kept secret, actually. There, we definitely have a really solid fan base. We have people who are here every day and people who come to our programs year after year. But I think part of um, as we emerge as a cultural institution is to let people know we're here to know about our history and to know about these wonderful monuments and the people who are buried here and also our horticulture program and our preservation efforts uh, that are happening. So I think every year our goal is to encourage more people to come discover this place. And I always like to say, I want people to love Greenwood as much as I love. What can you tell us about the architecture at the cemetery? Well, what's really, and you know, and of course I'll uh, have Lisa jump in on this too. Um, you know, we're founded 1838, the first burial, 1841, 1842. And so when you look at 1840, thank you. Um, when you look at the history of art and design since 1840, we're looking at, you know, Gothic revival, art deco, Egyptian revival, neoclassical. So there's this huge range of design trends that you see at the cemetery. So as you're wondering, through the paths, you're not just going to see, oh, Art Deco here and Gothic Revival here, but there's this blend around every turn. And so you begin to see the history of art and design um, as it unfolded over the past 200 years. And then the curiosity of who's that person who's buried here? And I always, you know, still, I've been at Greenwood for four years. I have my phone out all the time and I'm quickly Googling, or if I don't have internet reception, you know, putting together a list of people who I need to research. Uh, when I get home. And so it's not just, you know, the beautiful, beautifully designed work, but it's all a beautifully designed uh, monuments, but also all the people who are buried there. Um, and there's always these finds, we like to say. I mean, they've been here and as permanent residents, but there's always these great finds of people. Um, you know, just the other day, um, I didn't know the, the person who's responsible for the Colgate, you know, for toothpaste, um, that he, the founder of that company, is buried at Greenwood. So, you know, there's always like a new discovery around every uh, turn. Lisa, you want to add on to that? Probably the most striking thing that um, everyone knows or if they haven't seen should definitely come seen about Greenwood is these really striking um, Gothic archway that is um, right at the you know main entrance of Greenwood at 25th Street and 5th Avenue in Brooklyn, um, right off the R train. Um, and it is, uh, you know, it's striking because it, it, it's, it's beautiful. It's, it's um, uh, architect Robert Stern says it's the best example of high Gothic in the country. Um, it was designed by the same architect who designed uh, Trinity Church. And you can really see that um, in, its, in its sort of sweeping, you know, Gothic um, high peaks. Um, and it's also striking because that uh, uh, cemetery gate was built right in the middle of the Civil War. Um, reminding everyone that uh, for whatever it's worth, war was probably good for Brooklyn and New York and just in that sense only. However, moving mm. on, um, there are, um, that uh, uh, archway is a city landmark as is the historic chapel at Greenwood, it was built in um, 1913 and a couple of the gatehouses at Greenwood as well. So 
um, we are built to last and have been here for centuries and, um, you know, just really stunning architecture um, throughout the cemetery. I know it's an extremely long list, but who are among the other notables? Harry mentioned Colgate, but who are among the other notables buried at Greenwood? Well, it depends on, you know, what where your proclivities lie, you know, yeah. it, a lot of, uh, <laughs> I guess we can start with politics, right? Because there's one category. Well, the king of the mob, Boss Tweed, is buried at, at Greenwood. Um, we have a, uh, a program that we do uh, every four years, and it's coming up, that we call Presidential Losers. Um, so we have people who have run for president unsuccessfully, buried at Greenwood, uh, DeWitt Clinton, Horace Greeley, uh, George Francis Train, a really obscure guy, but really worth uh, uh, researching. Um, but um, artists also, there are over, I think now our count is over 400, 450 artists buried at Greenwood. Asher Durand. Architect Stanford White, uh, George Bellows, uh, Renwick, who's the designer of St. Patrick's Cathedral, and John Michel Basquiat, who is, yeah. I would say, one of the most visited residents. Yes. Um, now that we have a competition going on between our residents, we love them all. Uh, all 570,000 of them equally, but Jean-Michel Basquiat uh, certainly gets a lot of crowds of people who are leaving mementos and tokens behind uh, for him. I love that you call them residents. They are permanent residents, aren't they? We call them permanent residents, yes. And uh, that's what they are, permanent New York. There was, a gr there was a book several years ago, I think it's gone out of print, called Permanent New Yorkers. So that's, yes, that's what we have at Greenwood. Um, but, you know, I also wanted to point out that you know, there's often a, um, a, a mistaken idea about Greenwood that it is only for the sort of the privileged and, you know, uber wealthy. And, you know, yes, there are some of those guys there and they have obelisks and fancy memorials. There are also um, about between 150 and 200,000 of the 570,000 that Harry mentioned are in what are just called single graves or public lots. And, and, and that's for someone who just you know, walked in one day and said, you know, my, my grandmother passed away, we need a grave, we don't have a family vault, we don't have a family lot, we just need a grave. And we've put a lot of um, work recently into really researching those uh, burials. Um, many of them have connections to, um, uh, um, you know, churches, or associations, um, there is one that's uh, connected with an orphanage, you know, all sorts of organizations, either where the organization itself um, took burial land, or um, in some cases, I think Greenwood extended to each, you know, some of these organizations at, you know, sort of like for a dollar or five dollars, just some burial space. Um, so I think it's important to remember that Greenwood is really sort of the history of the area because it really is is not just um, sort of a fancy place, but really a burial ground. So it represents the legacy of, of all of Brooklyn. And I completely agree uh, with Lisa and to really reiterate that, that, you know, Greenwood really captures all of Brooklyn and all of New York City. Um, and so whether we're talking about the Irish and Italian immigrants in the 19th century, free black people and free black communities like those at Wheatsville uh, who are buried at Greenwood. So we're seeing these different communities and demographics throughout the past 180 years who have been important to Brooklyn's history. They're all buried, you know, cheek to jowl here at the cemetery. I was going to ask you that question because you do offer a lot of public programs. What are among the stories you like to tell through the cemetery? 
you know, there's always, you know, and kind of going on with what Lisa was saying, you know, people want to hear about Tiffany. They're always excited to hear about, you know, the Tiffany stained glass uh, that we have at the cemetery. But, you know, our job is to tell the full story and tell the full picture of that. So there's this one um, lot that Lisa referred to, the Freedom Lots, which was related to, and one part of the Freedom Lots, uh, it's made up of seven lots. And one of them was for the, um, uh, the Colored Orphan Asylum, which was in New York City. And the Colored Orphan Asylum, for those who are history buffs out there, it burned during the New York draft riots. Um, one of its iterations um, burned, and there's this large lot at the cemetery. And the thing that's most noticeable in the uh, Brooklyn Orphan Asylum lot is that there are no headstones. There's only one. Uh, and that one headstone is to an Irish immigrant who was one of the workers in the asylum. And so she had some money to pay for a headstone. But this lot is filled. And um, how many from the Brooklyn Orphan Asylum, uh, the colored orphan? Well, collectively over those seven lots, there are about 1,330 burials, um, wow. making Greenwood the largest African-American burial ground in uh, the city um, um, of original burials. Um, the, the sad story of many black burials is that the, the graveyards were either displaced or moved because of development. And so a lot of the burials are, you know, have been moved. But at Greenwood, you know, they really, they date back to the 1850s and have all been there and stayed there. And um, interestingly, um, the Greenwood archives, which is a whole other thing we haven't talked about, which we can really um, get on our high horse. So, you know, they're extraordinary institutional archival records going back to 1838. And in this case, and, and, and um, his, historians of African-American history will, will um, agree that many, many times when you're exploring history um, of um, uh, African-American, um, uh, African-American history, you hit a wall. You, you, you're not able to find a lot of documentation. And, and the, the Greenwood records show, you know, they may well have more information about these particular people than exist anywhere else. They, you know, where did they live? What was their age when they died? In days, months, and years, were they born? Um, so the uh, Greenwood archives in general are just a great unsung resource, um, and and you know one that we continually try to promote and make sure that historians know about because it's it's really an incredible cache of of, of data and information about the past. Right. And, you know, and I think it's important to tell all the stories that we have at the cemetery. Um, but I think especially these stories about inequality as it relates to how people both died and were buried um, are important for us. And I think Greenwood's positioned in New York City um, to be able to tell that story, like using our rich kind of archive and historic collection, we can like dig into that and think about was there a disproportionate amount of people who were black or Irish immigrants who were dying of certain diseases at certain ages. And we can look into those books. Um, why are there stones, you know, not a lot of stones to these, you know, um, young black orphans? Why did they not have stones and others did at the time? So we can have those conversations and we can look then kind of what's happening now politically and socially uh, and see what has changed and maybe what hasn't changed that way. Sort of a shameless plug, but I will make it because we were really happy earlier this year to receive a, a pretty sizable grant from the National Endowment for Humanities um, to uh, digitize these records that I'm talking about. We have many, many records, but in particular, we have these big, oversized, cloth-bound, hand-scrolled um, burial ledgers. 
and it is, we used to call them the cron books, which is not the most descriptive, but anyway, they were a chronological listing of every single burial at the green, at, at, at the cemetery. And like I said, they, each record contains many columns and we were able to make the case to the NEH that this represents a tremendous amount of, of historical data um, where you can begin to compare, you know, does the, did someone's, where they lived, maybe, maybe there was a certain public health outbreak in that area. Or you, you see many trends just, just glancing through the books you see in the 19th century uh, deaths from injury from horse and carriage or horses. And then that sort of starts to die out and you see more, you know, train and automobile. I mean, this is sort of morbid. It is the definition of morbid. Um, um, it, is, it is a fascinating um, a, a amount of data. And I think that, you know, for our part, we feel like cemeteries throughout the country are just you know, sitting on incredible uh, historical resources that are, in general, not known to the public um, and even to academic researchers. Yeah, but as you say, such important stories to tell through those documents in that archive. Incredible. I know that as a result of COVID, the in-person events that you typically hold are on hold. You've transitioned to virtual events, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, Sadly, you know, we can't engage our 478 acres with concerts or performances. But as Lisa mentioned, I'm so happy that all the gates are open seven days a week. So visitors can still come in, we're not closed. Um, and they can use the cemetery for respite and solace or just for, you know, a walk or stroll. But we have moved most of our programs uh, virtually and to our, I don't want to say to our surprise, but um, we were very delighted to see that our audience followed us from in-person programs. Uh, to the virtual realm. So, you know, one series we have zooming in on history, which is led by our historian, Jeff Richmond, um, is a deep dive into topics related to Greenwood's history and its permanent residence. So we've had, you know, two programs on Tiffany because Tiffany is very popular, but we are going to do a program in August on the Silent March, which was led by James Holden Johnson, uh, uh, who wrote Lift Every Voice and Sing. So we'll be talking about him. We'll be looking at the American Revolution and the Battle of Brooklyn specifically also later in August. Things like the New York draft riots as well as preservation efforts at Greenwood. So he'll be leading these weekly programs well into December every Wednesday night uh, from 6 to 7 p.m. And we have over 100 people at each of the programs and they've been really enthusiastic and again following us week after week and returning, which has been great. Something else that we need to talk about that is very exciting is this artist in residence program. Who wants to talk about that? Um, I'll take a stab and of course Lisa can you know join in on that too. So I'm really, really, really excited. I'm an art historian by training and when I first got to Greenwood four years ago, it's something I was like, I was dreaming about because we have these wonderful gatehouses, but there were a lot of other things we had to, you know, take care of first and I think we seriously started thinking about it a little over a year ago. And in fall 2019, we had this wonderful exhibition in our catacombs by the artist Janine Antoni, and there was such great reception. It motivated us even more to think about an artist in residency program, especially because we would get to offer a space to an artist. So, you know, real estate uh, is at a premium in New York. Renting a studio is expensive. And so we will be giving an emerging or mid-career artist nine months of free studio space along with an honorarium. And we'll get to work with them. So not just me, but our entire staff will be at their disposal. So whether it's horticulture or preservation or history, whatever they're interested in, they'll be able to work with our staff on creating a project specifically for Greenwood and having that space to be here 
over the course of the nine months and see the seasons change and, you know, see, you know, our different public programs and offerings um, and take an active interest and, you know, actively be a part of that over the course of 2021. What are the qualifications an artist needs to apply to be the artist in residence? Well, we are casting a very wide net. So it's not just visual arts, but it's also the performing arts as well. So whether you do dance or movement or music, you can be a composer. Uh, we want to hear from everyone and we want to see what we can possibly do. And we're not going to say, oh, it can't be a painter or it can't be a dancer or it can't be a printmaker. I think we are looking for an artist whose work demonstrates that they're able to work with a the site, they're able to respond to a site, um, but also someone who wants to actively engage the community. Um, because Greenwood's so large, you know, we are surrounded by at least five neighborhoods in Brooklyn. So we would like to work with an artist who wants to go out into the community and somehow bring them into the space. And there's a variety of ways to do that. But again, we're not going to focus on one way um, over another, we really want to cast that wide net and see who's interested and who's, you know, um, who's sparked by, you know, this challenge in some ways. Because um, it's 478 acres; it's almost 180 years of history. There's a lot to deal with, um, but I think there's, you know, a lot of potential for an artist. In your press release, it says the artist will have access to Greenwood's historical collection of over 10,000 objects. What kinds of things will be at this artist's fingertips? Yeah, so um, a little, you know, Lisa mentioned before, actually, I should back up. So Lisa mentioned um, that we have this rich archive um, at the cemetery that not many people know about, and we want to make that more accessible for research. But also our historian and president have been collecting objects relating to the residents who are buried at Greenwood. So that includes uh, stereo views that show Greenwood you know, back in the 1800s, but also includes paintings and prints and sculptures. Um, either made by some of the residents here or um, whether they're portraits of residents buried here at Greenwood. So we also have some really fun, interesting objects of Mangles, who was a designer of rides at Coney Island. So we have some items relating to the history of Coney Island. So the historic collection is eclectic to say the least, but it helps paint the picture that Brooklyn was not one thing or the other in its history in the 19th or 20th centuries. So the the artist will be able to get into that and working with our historian and working with our archive, uh, archivist, uh, be able to dig into that and kind of research what else is there. Lisa, what excites you most about the artist in residence program? What I love is that, it, you know, Greenwood is a big canvas. It is a, um, an opportunity to um, present um, artistically and creatively ideas, um, new kinds of ways for people to interpret this historic resource and this beautiful landscape. Um, you know, I just, I often say this about people coming to visit and making sure our gates are open. It just would be absolutely wrong not to share it with New York. Um, it's been there for a long, long time. We are in an area of Brooklyn that does not have a lot of green space. Um, so we always are finding ways to share what we have, you know, what is there, what has historically been there with the public and, and connecting it through art is just um, another incredibly creative way to do that. And um, I, I, what I kind of love about it is that we have no idea what it's going you know, what's going to happen. We did, you know, we will select an artist um, who, you know, the, the panel will select an artist who we think has the greatest potential to, you know, bring something new and innovative to Greenwood. And um, it'll be, you know, I think for all of us, it'll be so much fun to, to, to see what happens and to see Greenwood through the artist's eyes um, and, and, and see it in a new way. 
um, I'm, I, I like to say that, you know, everyone sort of has their own Greenwood. They're, you know, you talk to 100 people and 100 people will tell you, this is my favorite thing about Greenwood. I'll, I'll say one more thing about the Artist in Residency Program. You know, the Artist in Residency Program is an extension of public programs um, at Greenwood in that we want to engage visitors. So, you know, visitors often, you know, come, they enjoy the beauty of the landscape and the historic monuments. But if we're able to engage them, to tell them more about our story, to tell them more about the history of Brooklyn and New York City, the artist in resident will hopefully be able to engage the visitors further. And so what we're looking for is someone who can, um, you know, maybe it's something that's interactive, maybe it's something that moves uh, visitors through the space in areas that, you know, don't normally get trafficked. Um, but engagement is at the core of both public programs and what we want to achieve with the Artists in Residency program. If you are planning a visit to Greenwood Cemetery, are there recommendations you would make about here's the way to go about it? Start here, walk your way here. It's a big place. Oh, I, I think my recommendation for everyone is to get lost in Greenwood. Like, yes, you should have a map because you'll have to be out by 7 p.m. during the summer months, but you should definitely just get lost in the cemetery and you will find your way out eventually there's uh, four entrances. So you may not go out the way that you came in, but it's definitely worth getting lost. I think having agendas, sometimes you'll lose sight of all the wonderful trees and stones and mausoleums that you'll encounter. So just wherever curiosity takes you, go in that direction. A great big thank you to Harry Weil and Lisa Alpert of Greenwood Cemetery. You can find a list of Greenwood's virtual events at green-wood.com calendar. The deadline to apply for the Artist in Residence program is September 2nd. And that's it for this week's Cityscape. I'm George Bolarki. My thanks to producer Maddie Bristow. Our music is courtesy of Blue Dot Sessions. We'll see you next time.